This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons. You can support the show like them at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for September of 2022. The Tome is a D&D news reviews and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-ish related book. Spoilers be damned in full book club style. And our book this time around is Beating the Story. How to Map, Understand, and Elevate Any Narrative by Robin Laws. Meaning that Robin Laws is the author, not that we're only going to learn how to map stories by Robin Laws. I feel misled. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> and I, I always feel like the, the title is a little bit dirty. Right? Beating the story, I feel like could there, there's some innuendo there. Definitely. And with us as always is Eric Paquette. Hello, bonjour. Just adding more Canadian into a Canadian author book. <laughs> We're gonna and, try. Uh, we're gonna try to squeeze as much innuendo as we can into the episode to see if we can get Eric to blush. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I'm sure Quibblequa <laughs> are all about innuendo, wow. if I recall correctly. <laughs> Word games, all that. Uh, <laughs> next episode, which we'll record towards the end of November, although maybe middle, we'll see. Uh, we'll be reading Dragons of Deceit by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Before we get started, I want to say thank you to our patrons, the ones that help us pay the bills. You can help out too by going to patreon.com slash the Tome Show and offering as little as a dollar a month. Now on to the book. Beating the Story. What is this book about? I, th I think it was Eric's idea to read it. So Eric, why don't you tell us what this book is about? Sure. It is basically, we've read previously Hamlet's hit points, which where he was presenting his ideas of the beats and he had analyzed different media at that point in time, Casablanca, Dr. No, and all that. Well, this is taking that ideas and applying more towards ways of writing, writing and then goes into the end more, with more analysis and a bit of pro promotional for their software that they have for then uh, so you can map out your stories. Yeah, because Hamlet's Hit Points was very much geared, I think, more towards like uh, game masters or storytellers in terms of tabletop games, right? And then this one is more for writers, whether that be writers of books or television series, uh, movies, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting... Um... It was an interesting. It was interesting to get back into this, right? Because we did it. We did Hamlet's hit points. We looked at that book years ago, um, and I recall my impression of that that it was interesting. The whole concept of the beats and figuring out the the upbeats and the downbeats and um, how to think about the way I'm running my story uh, in my in my D and D games based on these beats to make sure we had the right up and down beats to sort of create the the type of narrative that I wanted to create. Um, and then I remember going through all of that, reading it, really working hard to understand it because it 
took some mental work for me to really wrap my head around it, especially because the references, this is one of the tricks, right? One of the interesting parts of th that book and this book to me are the references uh, where he break, he shows how you do it by breaking down some popular culture um, stories. But I've also found that if he's not breaking down a story that I'm pretty darn familiar with, that that becomes a little bit of a slog instead of, instead of interesting. Um, and there were less well-known stories to me in this one, right? Because they, uh, he did like a couple of uh, television episodes, which, you know, I may have seen, but I don't definitely haven't memorized uh, in the way if it was a movie or whatever that I'd seen and I would I would remember the story better. Um, I remember my, my impression from Hamlet's hit points being that tracking all of these beats, the ups and the downs and the types of different beats and, and all that kind of stuff feels way too homeworky to me. And while it might make my story better, the, the return on investment um, the investment was too high for me, uh, and it felt like working too hard. Um, but reading through this one, I still kind of felt the same way, but I came up with an idea and I've kind of been playing with it a little bit at my table so far. I haven't done much with it yet, but I had this idea to help me at least track the broad strokes. Because I think that the way he describes it, there is value in tracking the upbeats and the downbeats and what have you. If you know, because I think when you have too many of those downbeats over and over and over again, um, it can turn your story, your your game, the narrative of your game into a, a bit of a slog, right? It can it can if there's a lot of just down 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 all the time, it's just nothing but challenges and whatever. Um, or way more challenges, way more downbeats than upbeats. Um, I don't know if it, it feels like the story starts to drag and people start to lose interest and, and whatever. And so I had this idea of, of just keeping note cards. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the, the Sly Flourish approach of just having a bunch of three by five note cards behind my DM screen. But I've got color ones. So I keep the green ones to, to represent the upbeats and the red ones to represent the downbeats. And I just move them from the left side of my screen to the right side of my screen every time I recognize that we had an upbeat or a downbeat. So then I can kind of visually just sort of scan and see, okay, where, where's my balance at, right? Uh, am, I, am I way out of whack? Um, and that I think helps make it less of a slog to, to, to do the homework and figure all these things out. I'm still not great at, at identifying all the things that he says are beats, but but I think that part is, is, good, is helping me a bit. Well, the way he describes some of the beats, I mean, it can be a generic throughout the session beat, but there can also be certain events that for, for beats that are really moment to moment. And so you could even sort of a beat to the level of granularity of going for a combat. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, but yeah. Yeah, on, on the fly in a game, uh, going about and analyzing your beats is a bit, yes, will be a slog. Unless you know and you're well versed into the beat, unless you're Robin Laws, <laughs> right. it's, it's going to be hard to keep track on the fly. But one thing that's good about this the, the book compared to Hamlet's Headpoint, Hamlet's Headpoint was more of the analysis. This one, the first part is 
can be applied towards the prep, the, the preparation. So you can have prepare okay these type of beats that you can, that you can bring. So you can have a, a, a when you're preparation, you can have a series of tools so that way when you notice, oh look, I'm going down and all that, oh here's something I can bring like a review of or oh I need something as a question and then you have nearby the reveal later beat for when stuff you feel and knows, you can certainly reveal that, that scene. So you can prepare those type of beats ahead of time to help you with your story. That, that's probably that, true. I, I, it's, like I said, it's been a minute since since I've thought about, uh, let alone read Hamlet's hit points. Uh, but I do feel like, at least from my recollection, there's more discussion of how to build as opposed to just how to analyze the beats in this book. Um, you know, uh, and that may be a good point that this may be a good process. Sure. It's written for writing books or, or television or movies or whatever, but could I apply that to writing D and D adventures? Now there's going to be more up and down beats, um, for a good DM who's, who's modifying the story based on the actions of their players and, and, uh, and, and to the backstories of their characters and whatever. Right. Um, but you could certainly plan out ahead of time sort of the broad upbeats and downbeats. Like I could go through Descent into Avernus and identify the events of that story and what are the upbeats and what are the downbeats and, and in, in the broader sense, right? So I wonder if it'd be a good source of inspiration for I need to come up with a neat story. This is going to help me construct a story. What do you think? I think that's a good part of it too. Because like there's definitely the beats part and the beats for a D&D game are definitely going to come out and a lot of it's player input, right? In terms of you know, how they decide to approach a specific challenge and sometimes it's dice itself. If they're just rolling really poorly, they're going to have a bunch of downbeats that you didn't necessarily plan for. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could always look back at, at um, your session or even if, you know, you take a break during it and say, like, man, there's been 10 downbeats. I know from, you know, this type of thing, how that impacts people consuming a story or being part of a story. Uh, and so maybe I need to add something in and uh, to have a little bit of an uplift or something, depending on how the players are. Or they're just not getting something. You might need a pipe or um, some of the other ones where you can more easily drop information and, and help it move along. Uh, the other thing is there's some other tools that I think are in here that aren't beat related, but also help um, just trying to think through a story. Uh, and it is very interesting cause, to me because he talks about like uh, a lot of books. I mean, a lot of stories will end up being around a single protagonist or a very small number. Uh, sometimes D&D games in particular can get quite large. And I think it's hard to manage all those storylines. But some of the tools to thinking through, like, what is the question of your story, which is a little harder in, in, in D&D because we, we don't want to railroad people like a movie. <laughs> um, but then making sure that everyone has th- stuff like, blo- um, I think they called it blocks and desires, like things that the characters want to do and then things that are blocking them or they're doing to block other people. Yeah. Um, those can be interesting to add into. And then what are the pulls that a character arc is around like the uh, i forget what some of the examples were is like um betty being um feeling shame versus uh having wanting to have dignity or something like that 
Um, so those can be interesting tools to add to that and make sh- and lay a groundwork for a game in which you can help build beats more easily. And depending on the the campaign you're running, uh, whether it's homebrew or published or whatever, I think you can kind of ask that larger overarching question. Like, I I, I happen to be running for my my players right now, Descent into Avernus, right? So um, that's on my mind, and and I think you. Because I presented the campaign as this this is a game with these themes, right? It's a, it's it's got themes of redemption in it. So you could have a larger question of, um, you know, who is worthy of redemption, or can anybody be redeemed? As sort of a larger, um, the larger sort of thematic question in that kind of a story. But at the same time, as I think about um, like Tomb of Annihilation, I don't know that I have a sense of a strong enough theme that really runs through that whole adventure that I could come up with a good question. You know, what what happens when you go into a jungle looking for a death god baby? I don't, you know, that that's not that's not really the kind of question he's talking about. Well, is it, is it wouldn't the Tomb of Annihilation question would be something to the effect of what do you do when you know there's no more further corrected to Communication is all about the resurrections. Doesn't stop stops working well. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do? What do you do when you know this will be the end and will be never anything more than you can ever come back? Mm. So don't that a type of question you you yeah. exploring? And and that's what's interesting is it's like you making making sure with the players it's okay for them to know. Like, cause sometimes in D&D people want to be surprised and they don't want to know, like, right up front what it is that's happening or, or they want to just explore stuff. But if you can tell them, right, like, pretty early or help them figure out pretty early that this is the question of, like, what happens when resurrection stops working or works in a wonky way uh, and that's what they're exploring... That's definitely, yeah, I, I think one way to approach, but, you know, knowing that question up front. But I, feel Sorry. Like those, I feel like those questions are a lot more interesting when they're bigger, like almost philosophical level questions. Like, like what would you do or what would happen? Well, that's that's just the story. That's not really the theme. That's not really the, the larger sort of moral uh, question that's being asked. Uh, in that case, I like I like what you're talking about, but but I would change it to something like what lengths would you go to? to protect the ability to resurrect the dead yeah uh, you know stuff you know because yeah. then it becomes a philosophical question of like are you really willing to put yourself on the line to to let other people come back from the dead and i think it too also gets interesting because later in in the the book uh and i will be completely honest that i i mostly skimmed it because it gets into that detailed analysis and i was just like i i there's a lot going on, and I, and, I couldn't and read if that you don't level. Know, if you don't know those references, yeah. then right. getting into that detailed analysis becomes becomes a little tiresome. Although yeah. I almost got bogged down because I I remembered what the necklace was, and I remembered reading it in school and like over twenty years ago now, and really liking it. And I was like, oh, I want to remember all the details. So I was like, but I can't get bogged down. I need to get through this for the for mm. for my friends. <laughs> I need to do this. Uh, but near the end, they, they, he does talk about um, approaches to writing and the idea that some people just like they write a first draft that's everything they don't outline first they're just doing an exploratory first draft and then other folks because they're usually writing more commercially or they've just written for so long they know they need the outline they write an outline out 
And it feels like the D&D games are almost always going to be like that first draft, in part because we have so many collaborators when we're, we're working on it together and we don't know how everything's going to go. Um, but just how you approach that, too, I, I thought it was good to think of it that way and, and to, to realize that. And like the outline is... And because so many people get upset, uh, not upset, but they get frustrated sometimes as dungeon masters because they'll do this in depth planning. They'll plan out like ten sessions ahead. Mm -hmm. This is the story, uh, and then of course players uh, run all Although, with it. I don't know that it's fair to say that D and D games have to be more like a write a first draft. I mean, I I outline. I have an outline for my campaign. Uh, you know, and I, I regularly change the outline based off of what the players do or whatever, but I have right. an outline, so I'm not like making it up off the cuff as we go. Yeah. And if you, and if you purchase a published scenario, that published scenario is the outline. The details will be created as you go along, but you have an outline and yes, no, so, there, so those two ways can it's, be done. It's the well, beginning of an outline for me because I'll take that outline and then add in all the other stuff where I'll match well, up two outlines I, I, into one yeah. story. Um, yeah. my, I always tell folks that a published scenario is pretty much 50% of, of a campaign. The other half is brought in by the whole group as you modify, make it and be your own thing. So. Great. But I, I, and I do think it's kind of been interesting because uh, I was just thinking about this uh, as we're talking, um, what it means to have an outline and that that idea of like the some of the and I'm thinking back to fourth edition versus now, where in fourth edition we had the encounters all written out with everything that's in it, all the set pieces there, and a lot of people felt a lot of those were potentially a little more railroady because there wasn't a lot of change that could happen versus a lot of the more adventures written now where you, you often don't even really, like you get nothing level of detail wise as a fourth edition encounter, right? Like um, with the exact ceiling heights and, and all of those things, it's more like, here's the scenario, here's info about like the, the NPCs or other creatures that might be there. Uh, but a lot of it depends on that story that you're writing that you're adding on to it. So I, I agree there. Um, in terms of that's like a, a very broad outline where you might have those bonds and ideals and stuff like that to guide a dungeon master um, versus like a something that's w w way more in depth but uh, and and more of on a micro level info. Uh, one thing that that uh, remembered when you were talking about. The, the ups and downs, and you said you don't want too many ups and downs. What I found interesting in the analysis is that he has graphs at, at the end of the book uh, of each section for each of the, uh, the analysis he does, and most of them, most of them <laughs> uh, uh, is basically, a, a, right. a, from the start to the end, is a, a gradual slope that go down with some upbeats from time to time, but most of them. So, you're, and you mentioned a few times in the book that, generally speaking, that's what you'll see in store in, in, in stories and in, in loans where that overall the story will have a, a majority more of downbeats than upbeats. Well, and I think that depends on the story you're telling. Like he, the the examples he's giving are all pretty much like dramas and tragedies, right? If 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 I were to, 
to sketch out the up and down beats of of a James Bond film or you know uh, some action movie um, or even a fantasy novel. Like I I don't know that you would end so far down. Well, and that's yeah, that's the end when you often does to me doesn't necessarily feel like it's that far down but it depends because i'm like thinking hallmark movies they will they will bring you to the depths of tears but then then they end up way up (laughs) right well and and that's that's part of the trick is that the beats um oftentimes don't like there's ups and downs but you know you could quibble over how big is that up and how big is that down right yeah Uh, because you know you could argue that the lord of the rings ends significantly down from where it began but then there's like big ups you know so so it kind of is still a satisfying ending so i found the article the place where he has for hamlet hit points he had to analyze uh hamlet casablanca and dr no so for james bond that goes it peaks up and goes back to around the same level mm-hmm. so that would probably what an action thing which would probably what you would tend to try to find in a, maybe in a D D game because we're talking about really action fantasy uh, from from all that time, so you're probably gonna. Well, and and if I'm talking about a D and D adventure, I think yes. I feel like if if the story, if if I'm running a campaign, I want the ending to feel like an uplifting moment. Um, I want the ending to feel like a big upbeat. Because then it's satisfying. We accomplished something. We did something important and meaningful, and the world is a better place because of it. Um, and so I feel like that map looks different in, in terms of a whole campaign. It's part of why, like, um, when I ran Curse of Strahd, I didn't stop at the end of Curse of Strahd. I added a whole third act at the end of it to, to create a, a larger story. Because Curse of Strahd absolutely is a story that starts here, goes way down, and best case scenario ends at the same height that it started at because you escaped and you got home and everything's back to the status quo and you didn't make any difference, you know? But did um, you really escape? <laughs> well, right, right. Um, so, so, and so, yeah. So, I mean, and that to me and players that I've played with in the past doesn't always feel like a very satisfying conclusion to a lo- long campaign we've been playing for two years, right? So then I add other things. Uh, in that case, to to give them a larger sort of meta story that where they could be the hero and make the universe a better place. Yeah, and I think that's a lot. And it in D and D, and it may not be the same in all games, right? So, some of the story games, like I'm thinking Fiasco, right? Like has a definite thing that there, and there's a chance that it goes up, but there's a very good chance it ends very down. <laughs> Yes, Yasko is all about stuff blowing up in a bad way, and yeah. So, but, hope, but hopefully, the player's fun is going up because it's it's going. The, yeah, the downbeats are comedic. So. Yes. Yeah, and well, it's the the meta analysis, and the, I think I think it talks a little bit about that too in terms of like what the consumer of a story is getting out of it, um, and and how they might be approaching it, uh, so that the. Oh, it was definitely when you, I think you're talking about like satire, what satire versus parody and stuff like that does for the the the, the people consuming that story. Um, but and that's probably where it's actually something potentially to talk to in like a session zero very early on, mm-hmm. like what type of game 
what type of feel to the story are they looking for the players looking for because some might want to you know uh, uh explore the type of story of against the vastness of an indifferent universe right and they might not want to guarantee that it's going to end on an up note well because that's yeah. and I'm even, <laughs> I'm even thinking of like so what are some of the iconic sort of uplifting action movies of our time and i'm thinking like avengers which i think you could argue ends in a down uh, down from where it started because the world is definitely a worse place sure the avengers have formed but new york's also been devastated you know uh you, you know even go through all of uh what is it through phase three with uh you get to end game and and infinity war and all that like you know, you could argue there, like, again, the world is worse off than it was when the whole MCU started. Um, it's better off than it was at the, the climax of the story, which is, oddly enough, the opposite of a climax when you chart it out in those lines, right? <laughs> whatever whatever the, the valley is, the, the very bottom of the valley um, is, actually, is, is the climax of, of the actual story. Um, but it probably ends lower than it begins if i if i put it out but the, but those don't feel like depressing down movies and they're crazy action flicks where you're literally actual superheroes and you know uh, which is what a lot of D, &D characters want to feel like by the time they get to the end of a campaign you know right and a lot of and and they definitely explore a lot of those deeper philosophical questions in those movies with these larger than life characters and even thinking of WandaVision not sure mm -hmm. how up that feels at the end right <laughs> right well yeah although WandaVision isn't exactly your typical sort of superhero movie storyline right uh, it, it is a tragedy yeah by, by design so yeah so I guess there's a lot of there's a lot of really satisfying movies that that conclude that still end further down in their total trajectory than um, they than they start with. Was it Rogue One, the Star Wars one? Uh huh. Which was also you know, and, and and maybe that's a good point because it's about expectations. Like that doesn't bother me about Rogue One because. I know what that story's about and I know how that ends, right? And you know it can't end well. Um, and I go into it with that expectation and then enjoy yeah. the tragedy as it slowly unfolds. Yeah. But then I would argue that A New Hope probably ends a bit higher than it started because at the end you have the celebration, the, you know, the head of the medals and all that. They've, yeah. You, I mean, you, you've destroyed the big bad evil Death Star, and the world is the universe is a better place. The galaxy yeah. is a better place uh, because spoilers. Right, has been spoilers for a big movie spoilers. from the late seventies. <laughs> Sorry for people who just finished watching Rogue One and are, and are right. hoping to see New Hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to apologize for spoilers for a New Hope. <laughs> that movie came out before I was born, and I'm getting up there. I just uh, had to make the joke because, like, right. he knows. Wait till I tell you about Luke and Darth. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say something, but is, my husband thought he was going to be able to keep that away from our son until they got to watch the movies, and there's just no way in this no, universe no, to keep no. away from that. No. No, no, no. 
my sister showed to my nieces, to her, da- to her daughters, the uh, started with Phantom Menace, and apparently by the end they were wondering, because the, the youngest of her knows about Darth Vader, and she they were wondering, where's Darth Vader oh. in this? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I'm not quite old enough that I was seeing those movies, the originals, when they came out in the theater. So, yeah, I I have enjoyed Star Wars as much as anybody, and that and and that big reveal was never a big shocking reveal to me at any point. No, in time, so well, we got we got um our son a a a book a star wars like picture book thing for young kids and it had the spoiler in it like right. <laughs> and 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 the the story is still good i understand that it's people were shocked at that point <laughs> in the 80s but so so as a question based close so is that reveal a downbeat or an upbeat in in the whole story and does that change now that the prequels have been made versus originally? I mean, um, no. I think I think that reveal is a downbeat. Yeah, because yeah. it is me too. Because it, it puts uncertainty and and because he the hero got got revealed that the villain is the father and like right. that puts in question all about. A hero's life. Well, and that that whole movie is kind of a, a downbeat to the to the series, right? Um, yeah. That's the and and that's not unusual for stories that that yeah. things have to get bad so that you can feel the the threat, you can understand the 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 stakes, right? Uh, before the the heroes can rally and and things get better. And in the original Star Wars movies that second movie is about sort of no no no. you thought you won but you didn't and it's worse than ever and it's going to get really bad because then you have somewhere to rally from and and become triumphant and, and feel like a big deal in the in the third act right and that's where i do wonder if people end up watching the prequels first and they see the fall and then they see the what were the original movies, but now are the the middle set of movies, mm-hmm. and they see uh, that turning point too in that character, right? Like, does that play differently? Right. I I don't. I mean, I don't know. Again, it was never a spoil. It was never a, a surprise for me. Um, I don't you know, don't know. It plays out much differently now, but. Well, it's it's not about the surprise element. It's more, isn't that? I thought to me that always felt like a change in. Darth Vader character when when he when he starts revealing who he, he is because he went from this unknowable menace to to actually he's a person and related <laughs> to people we we care about I yeah suppose. I suppose well so I'll tell you in a few years when my yeah. son's old enough to watch some of the movies and we, see if he has different reactions to things my uh, my youngest <laughs> and I have been have watched a few but we've only uh, was, we have a, a weekly uh, family movie night, uh, and at some point we decided to give some of our other things a break and dig into Star Wars, but we've only watched the one, the first movie, episode one, which is a poor introduction to the Star Wars universe. <laughs> so, 
Are you are you putting it in the the series that are between the animated and so like that's that? that's our plan is that we're going to do the series in between and now the family won't care about the series or whatever but um, just he and I will watch the the various series as well and we're going and we're doing the whole thing in chronological order with my oldest um, we did a summer of summer break or whatever and we did the uh, what was called the machete order where you do episode one and two or not two one and two. Uh, four and five and then you go back and watch the prequels after the big reveal that Darth Vader is Luke's father and do those as like those three movies as a flashback of how he got to where he was and then watch the the last one but that was before we had all the Disney Plus series and and Solo and and Rogue One and and, and what have you so and that will change once that series that comes out that is set a hundred years before A New Hope <laughs> so so yeah. Okay. What else do we think? Let's get let's talk about the. I mean, we yeah. could continue talking about Star Wars, but I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we have other thoughts on on beating the story? Uh, for the whole uh, dramatic pose and theme and all those, uh, what you desire and what's blocking you. If folks are interested in exploring that in the game. Robin Law's uh, Drama Systems book, Hillfolk, de- deals a lot with that. And it's more of a less procedural, less like attacking, but more of the dramatic talking to people and all that. Uh, seriously, if you like HBO series, uh, that game is, is with that in mind. With that in mind. <laughs> yeah. so. And I guess it is worth noting for people, uh, we didn't really introduce Robin Laws, but Robin Laws has been uh, sort of a a staple in the gaming world for a long time. He occasionally gets called up to, or has gotten called up to write sections of DMGs for for Um, D&D. And usually the things he writes about are more about this kind of stuff. It's more generalizable, system neutral, um, how to construct story and narrative and build your games that way, what kind of players are there at the table that you need to be aware of, um, that kind of stuff, not mechanical like these are the drowning rules and whatever, right? Um, so he's been doing D&D stuff for a long time, but he also has other games. Is he... Is he? Do I remember correctly that he's uh, connected to Gumshoe as well? Yes, yes. He he created the Gumshoe system, so which is the investigative uh, gaming system. So yeah. So he does get some game design as well, although usually not for D and D. And he's written some novels. I think he wrote some Pathfinder yeah. novels um, in recent Pathfinder years. Pathfinder novels, uh, King and Yellow stuff. Yeah. A uh, bunch of them. So currently, he's mostly working with Pelgrim Press. Okay. So, and he's Canadian. He's in Toronto. So. I mean, we do, but we won't hold that against him. <laughs> well, Canadians are all right with their health care and politeness and Tim Hortons. We do well. We do okay. <laughs> And our maple reserves. Maple reserves. Okay, anything else about beating the story and how it applies to, to games and gaming and, and other interesting and fun ideas that you 
you saw there. I think that's most of what I had come up with. So this may be my last question then. So he, he has this book and it is arguably more refined than Hamlet's hit points. Uh, you know, he wrote it sometime later and, and has developed the process better and, and developed his way of explaining it and describing it, uh, I would argue better. Uh, but it is not gaming specific, whereas Hamlet's hit points is the same concepts, but specifically designed for games. So if you're a gamer and you want to pick up one of these books to help you improve your storytelling, which book do you think they, they should pick up? Hmm. That is a good question. I think it depends. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> well, because um, I feel like this one has more potential ways of driving ideas for creating different types of scenarios or scenes or something like that within a game and for how the characters might interact with each other more and, and, and laying that groundwork. Mm -hmm. But if you want to instant, like more instantly apply something to your game, I feel like Hamlet's hit points was a little easier. Okay. But I'm not sure. Yeah. If you're more, if you're more into the creative aspect of creating your own scenarios, creating your own stories within your game, have avenues for it yes beating the story is probably the best way to go to, to it because it has tools it has tips of how to accomplish that it's yes it's mostly focused towards other types of writing but you can, other types of writing can be adapted for gaming writing uh but if you are just mostly consuming games i'm talking more about the, the the, the the PCs, mm -hmm. the people who play PCs most of the time, they don't those and just have their character. And if you want to get an analysis of how stuff is, so that way when you're playing, you can keep track of, before closing, maybe it'll help out the game master or the group itself of shaping the story of ups and downs, then Hamilton's headpoints is probably better for you. I think that's a good analysis. I, I think when we started t discussing this tonight, I would have recommended Hamlet's hit points generally, but now that we've talked about it and I've thought more about it, I do think that beating the story while not focused on gaming, I, th I feel like it has more to offer uh, for, for DMs who are crafting their stories, creating their adventures, what have you. Uh, if you, there, you may have to squint in a few places to make it fit gaming or, or tweak a few things here and there to really have it fit the this reality of, of what a gaming storyline is compared to writing uh something where the play the where the players might do something unexpected but your characters only do the unexpected things if you tell them to um so so there's some uh, there's some adaptation to do uh but i also i am also cognizant of the fact that it could just be that I read this one in a while well, in a better place to receive the ideas. Um, so I guess my gut is that beating the story is better developed for creating stories. Um, 
but maybe I just suck and I'm, I'm, I suck slightly less reading it now than I did before. Um, and I have to go back and read Hamlet's hit points again to find out. And honestly, what, what it, the conversation really leaves me with is, boy, I kind of wish he would go back and, and do a second edition of Hamlet's hit points now, adapting some of the ideas from beating the story into gaming instead of, cause, cause the analysis piece is important for being able to do it. But I don't remember Hamlet's hit points getting past the analysis on the how to construct the story. Um, and that's what I find more useful is how do I construct the story in a, in a game. Um, so I wish you would go back and do a second edition talking more about that. Yeah. And I think, too, there's like this um, tension because we keep saying like for Dungeon Masters or people running the game. Right. But they're not the only ones that need to read something like this or to understand how to lay the groundwork to make it easier to have a story that can have different types of beats and and to have a um, fulfilling or satisfying uh, array of them. However, however the line ends up going over time, uh, yeah. that it comes out uh, feeling good for the type of story they're, pl- they're trying to tell uh, and what they're looking for from it. So it might also be interesting, like how going back to the Hamlet hit points and, and redoing it like second edition type thing, like how do players interact with this? Yeah. Like the, the people who aren't necessarily a storyteller or dungeon master and how do they help uh, provide this? Cause think, it, yeah, I think that's a really important question. A really important conversation. Um, well, even in the beat in the story, they do cover between the individual character and the ensemble, as we men- mentioned. So, mm-hmm. if, if someone who has a play- PC and is interested in adding more and creating more and helping more to create sh- or integrate their story within the group, could oh, there's you so, so basically the creatives, the creatives who want to create stuff in games, beating the story. That's why i'm saying that because they can't even if they're a pc because they can you know, yeah i mean that's a scrap. really that's a really important that's a really interesting point because part of why i think all of this feels overwhelming to me to try to do as a dm is that i feel like i'm solely responsible for creating the upbeats and the downbeats um and i but if everybody at the table sort of acknowledged their role in creating upbeats and downbeats and and played their part to help out i think that could make it a lot less overwhelming for me uh as a dm and make it suddenly it becomes a lot more useful um you know we didn't really talk about the kinds of things that create upbeats and downbeats but i think um our discussion probably made clear what those are right the the upbeats are moments of sort of triumph and places where the heroes are accomplishing a goal uh, achieving something they want to achieve etc and the downbeats are when those things are frustrated uh or there's obstacles or they're blocked or, or uncertain or, or they fail right or the, or it's uncertain yeah um and there's all kinds of different beats and i there's too many different beats for me to follow because I'm not writing a novel and trying to sketch it out and, <laughs> and, and map it like he does. Right. And then the other thing is, uh, particularly, I think sometimes when some folks start playing or and sometimes they continue for a long time, they don't realize the value of the downbeats um, in terms of the story they 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 see it as something that they always need to win and come out on the top of. And that doesn't always lead to a satisfying story 
for the probably even themselves, right. but definitely other people at the table. And so the more that players know about that type of stuff, I think probably the easier it might be for folks to get along together. <laughs> I have this com- so I, I run a game um, every week for my my two sons um and that is a regular conversation we have to have of like yeah you you did not succeed at the thing that cannot be a reason to get frustrated and give up on the game uh, and the story because that's what makes a good story right look at all the comics look at all the novels look at all the shows look at everything you've ever watched that has a good story there's a lot of good guys failing the main character is not doing well right there's a lot of downbeats in order to make the upbeats more uplifting and more victorious and more important right um so just because you screwed up that one skill roll doesn't mean that you now your character sucks because you know because it wouldn't be an interesting story if they literally just always succeeded at everything then it's not challenging and, and who cares right and then you can also do the happy accidents approach of <laughs> Uh, Bob Ross and just say like, oh, well, we thought we were going this direction, but there turns out that's a dead end. So now we're going to have to go a different direction and explore this new thing that we didn't even expect to have, like expected to explore. And maybe we like that better. And and the unexpected itself, just by the nature of being unexpected, can make it better. Yeah. So I have that conversation a lot and I wish maybe I need to hand my uh, copy of Hamlet's hit points to my to my local sixth graders and see if they can grok all of that yeah (laughs) all right do we have any last thoughts before we wrap things up so just real quick it sounds like we need him to write a kids edition to help us explain to children yeah (laughs) so robin if you uh if you hear that this uh we want you to do a second edition of Hamlet's Hit Points that talks more about constructing those stories and the role of players versus DMs uh, or GMs, I guess, because you'd want to be more system neutral in in tracking the beats and, and figuring out sort of how to maximize the enjoyment of the story. And then we also need you to go ahead and write a, a young adult uh, version uh, for young players uh, in games. So go ahead and make that happen for us uh, just as soon as possible, please. So, last thoughts. Um, no? All right. Then we're going to go ahead and call that the this the end of the episode. Uh, so it's time to say goodbye. I want to thank our all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the Tomes Show. Special thank yous go out to patron jo- uh, oh, uh, Doug Palmer, Hyperlexic, James D'Alessio, uh, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, and Michael Harrison. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email, thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me at Sarah Dark Magic on Twitter. That's Sarah with an H and SarahDarkMagic.com. Jeff is at Squatch. Eric, where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Eric M. Pack, E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. And the show, the, the show itself is at the tome show and you can find us on facebook patreon and discord you can watch us live as we record the episode on twitch.tv slash tome show and show notes and other great shows are at the tome show.com and that's our thoughts on beating the story which still sounds a little dirty to me every time i say it. uh next next up in november we'll be reading dragons of deceit the latest dragonlance novel um which is 
kind of an exciting thing to say all on, it, on its own. It has not been a new Dragonlance novel in a very long time. Um, and I look forward to seeing how that goes. I know Tracy's excited. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy, Tracy tolerates our desire to read mainstream D&D novels like Dragonlance better than some other books. Put it that way. So, all right. I try. <laughs> Until then, uh, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm not a wall.